Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today it is 4 p.m. Eastern on Monday. I'm hoping to get this out tonight. We'll see if it actually gets out. But uh, Chase and I are doing our NHL deadline recap. Uh, so there might still be a few trades trickling in here or there. The deadline was supposed to be an hour ago, but sometimes they keep going through. It feels like it's almost a soft deadline. It's not, but usually they say the trade call went through at 2.59, but details magically didn't get worked out. Out until like an hour and a half after so we'll keep an eye on twitter as we're recording but it looks like uh the biggest stuff is done and it's good that we uh waited an extra second because you know at about 340 or so when the trade went through a massive trade broke as well so or massive in a relative term in an nhl standpoint that's for sure um it feels like the, the term blockbuster really gets thrown around loosely these days because of how little actually happens in, in the nhl <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of sad, like um, the NHL definition of a blockbuster versus the NBA or whatever. But oh yeah, I'm like or like, even like the MLB, like the MLB, it'll be like an all-star starting pitcher going one way and a bunch of prospects going the other. And in the NHL, it's like, whoa, this is a blockbuster. It's a first liner for like a second liner and a first round pick or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like these are big enough trades. But yeah, in the NBA, it's like it's it's just casually a top fifteen player getting moved at the deadline every year or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or even just like a Jamal Adams style trade. Like it's just kind of rare in the. Yeah. And part of that is because with, uh, you know, in the NBA, there's so few players that they make such a big, bigger impact. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Chase and I will probably just go through all the trades here. We're going to go from just kind of the date they happened. There was a trade, of course, that broke about four hours after we had finished recording our preview episode last week. But uh, yeah, so we'll just start from there and go all the way up. And, you know, we'll kind of group the trades in if they're multiple teams. But honestly, I, I figure we can just work our way through and talk about each of them separately and, you know, touch on the teams again if we have to. I don't think it's a really big deal. So let's start with the first trade that happened. And this broke, obviously, like literally probably three hours, four hours after we're done recording. Uh, the New Jersey Devils sent. Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac to the New York Islanders, both at 50% retained. Uh, in return, they get AJ Greer, Mason uh, Jobs, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, a first round pick and a conditional fourth. That conditional fourth will turn into a third um, if the Islanders advance to the 2021 Stanley Cup Finals. Um, so, I mean, we talked about, you know, like I'll, I'll try and if you haven't listened to the preview on it, I mean, you could still go back and listen to that, but I'll try and tie in. We went through what every team should do. We said New Jersey should sell. It's what they're doing. Uh, funny enough, they waived Sammy Vatnin, who got claimed. Um, and I, I'm assuming they probably didn't have a trade partner for him. So that's fair enough. But uh, yeah, this trade I thought was a decent piece for both sides. I mean, we kind of talked, you had mentioned last week how you didn't think a team should uh, overpay too much for Kyle Palmieri, but I thought Palmieri, one of his best fits would probably be in Long Island. He kind of replaced that Andrews Lee mold that they, they, you know, are missing now for the rest of the season. So, um, and they get Travis Zajac, who I don't really know what Zajac has left, but for a one year depth piece or whatever in a playoff push is not the worst option and yeah they give up a first round pick um i'm not sure about either of the guys they gave out yeah the one guy's 27 um and i don't even know how old the other guy is but i i'm assuming it's not much in terms of prospects uh aj grew 24 so nothing really in prospects is a first and a fourth that could turn into a third for uh um, a legitimate top six forward and a bottom six forward what were your opinions on this chase um it was the classic where like oh mary's not like a huge needle mover but like he's a good enough player that I thought this was reasonable given New York's window right now, first round pick in a bad draft. You get a player who's 
down bad right now. He's not shooting very well, but I'm going to assume that's not Kyle Palmieri's true shooting talent falling off a cliff. So it was an all right trade. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, you know, we'll get into the Taylor Hall stuff in a bit, obviously, but uh, uh, just in terms of, you know, there's a couple trades in a vacuum here where I think they look okay. And then, you know, maybe once you look at what someone else went for, you go, okay, that's a little more aggressive. But um, yeah, I, I, I didn't hate it for the Islanders. I, again, we talked about a lot last week and just overall that their window to go for it, as weird as it sounds, is kind of right now. Um, you know, they're playing actually like well this year too. It's not kind of wondering if they have unsustainable shooting percentage or anything like that. Um, you know, they're, they're controlling expected goals in Corsi four as well. So uh, yeah, I, I don't hate the deal either way here. I, I think it's, it's good for New Jersey to get an, an extra first as well. Um, you know, they're, again, they should just be stockpiling picks. They could use some talent. So they got two firsts this year. Uh, they don't have their second this year. They got three fourths now next year. Uh, so yeah, I, I would, uh, I would have liked to see New Jersey maybe even trade a little more if they could have, but it doesn't look, I don't, I guess no one would really want Ryan Murray and it uh, didn't seem like Sammy Batten in a suitor because Dallas claimed him off waivers, but I would assume him being on waivers suggests that no one was willing to give up a pick. I would think so. Yeah. It's, a, it's obviously great for New Jersey. I feel like one of the easiest things to do in the NHL is just sell because you're kind of just hamstrung to what, how many bidders you have or whatever, but it's good enough for them. No buyer for Ryan Murray does seem weird, though, given the amount of trash defensemen that always get traded at the deadline. Yeah, no kidding. Like, we'll get to it again, but, like, Eric Goodbranson and Braden Coburn both got moved. And, like, Goodbranson only he makes 500 k less than what Ryan Murray does, and I would assume brings a lot more – or Murray probably brings a lot more to a team than him. But Oh, yeah, and the only thing Goodbranson's ever done well in his career was get drafted high, and Murray was drafted higher too. Like, yeah, it's strange, and you know, maybe maybe the Devils want to keep him though for a couple of years too, and that's why they didn't. Like, he's twenty seven; he's probably not a bad guy to sign to a three or four year deal. It's like a stopgap until you find some younger guys to come up in the lineup. Like, so maybe that's the plan. Yeah, just like a competent piece to maybe shelter Ty Smith or something if you want for a little bit. Not the yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because it's like if you look at their left side, it's Will Butcher, Ty Smith. Uh, Ryan Murray and then Jonas Siegenthaler. So it's like, yeah, if you just have Ryan Murray play until you feel like Ty Smith is ready to take those first pair of minutes or whatever, and then Ryan Murray can slide down to your second or third pair, it's not the worst thing in the world if you're only getting offered like a fifth round pick. Yeah, and he's legitimately good defensively and doesn't put up points. So he probably won't be too expensive. Yeah, so um, that's first trade. Second trade, <laughs> another. There's a couple just really confusing moves to me here, dude. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tie two in together here. Um, so the Florida Panthers acquire Lucas Walmark and Lucas Carlson, uh, and in return they send out Brett Connolly with a two point four two five million dollar cap hit. Hendrick Borgstrom, who's like a really good prospect, and Riley Steelman, along with a seventh uh, seventh round pick. Granted, Borkstrom is 23, so I don't know how long, how much longer we can call him really a prospect for, but he was someone the Panthers were really hoping would come in and make a difference, and he only really got it. He played 58 uh, NHL games at 19 points. Um, he was 23 points in 49 AHL games uh, in 2019-20, and this year he's over in Liga, and he's got 19 points in 29 games. So very good prospect, maybe a stretch. He, he had a bunch of pedigree, but um, you know it hasn't really worked out. But they moved that money to get off the books to Chicago. You know, so Chicago got a 23-year-old who you know his signing rights he can come on over, and then took some money on for that. Lucas Walmark is not. Uh, I wouldn't really call him much of anything. He's a depth player, right? And then. Uh, 
the Panthers moved that money, the, the, the money they moved out, they uh, uh, got Brandon Montour for a third round pick from the Buffalo Sabres. Montour makes 3.85. I, I don't like this move at all from, from Florida's perspective, if I'm being honest. Replacing Aaron Ekblad with Brandon King Montour is going <laughs> to just look awful on the ice for them. Yeah, like we were talking about how, um, you know, and there, there's a legitimate debate, I think, that could have been made that, um, you know, now, like, what what do the Panthers do? Do they, um, like, do they say, oh, with no Ekblad, we're screwed, we should probably try and rebuild for, or, like, just retool for one more year, just kind of go at it with the core we have, or do they try and build on top? Because this is genuinely the best-looking team they've had in a little while, and, you know, it's not like their division gets any easier after this year either, like, Tampa's going to stay in it. Toronto's going to come back in it. Boston's going to come back in it. So, and yeah, you get to lose Carolina, but there's probably going to be three or four really good teams versus the three that you have now. And um, it kind of went half in half out here. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't really like it. I think that, uh, you know, Montour is not very good. Um, granted, like everyone is a little worse in Buffalo. So maybe he rebounds, but just like everything he's shown in Buffalo has been pretty ugly. Um, so like, I, I don't know if I would just, uh, trust that to you know rebound or whatever right yeah it'd be one thing if he was like um like a number one defenseman in anaheim as a young guy and then i was like oh well it looks like buffalo clearly ruined him like he was like a number three or like a number four at best and then he started to look awful so it doesn't seem like a great bet to me yeah like his three-year running rapm chart is just all red it's uh, not good. like every single thing you could have is red so it just doesn't seem like a really like I, I wouldn't waste a third round pick on it. And then when you factor in the fact that they, you know, moved a prospect out just to get the money, uh, just not, not a great piece of dealing for Chicago. I like it. You know, you, you pick up, even if Borgstrom doesn't become something, it's not a bad bet. It's not like you're going to miss Carlson, Lucas Carlson or Lucas Walmart. You get a seventh to take on a contract that's not going to affect you at all. So, um, and, and for Buffalo, I like it too. You get a third round pick for a guy that, uh, is barely an NHL defenseman and Buffalo needs all the picks they can get. Yeah. hundred percent works well for Buffalo and Chicago take some shots. Chicago gets the, yeah, I guess prospect we're going to call him. But even if he has like a sliver of upside, that's good. And then obviously I'd rather have a pick than Brandon Montour at Buffalo's perspective too, but it kind of just feels like buying for the sake of buying if you're Florida. Yeah. I mean there, and there was just so many better options even for just like, like again, Ryan Murray would have been a better option on the left side than Brandon Montour if you're going to give a third round pickup for someone. And I doubt Murray would have even been worth a third, like given the fact that he didn't move at all. Exactly, or just get like a like a Troy Stetcher or some kind, like a player like that. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really understand from Florida's perspective. I don't think that's amazing, but uh, yeah, the next one uh, we won't get into all the least moves. We'll, we'll go chronologically here. But Riley Nash for a conditional seventh. The seventh turns into a sixth if Nash appears in twenty five percent of the least twenty 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 one playoff games. Um, Riley Nash is on IR right now. This is basically this was a move um, depth for playoffs. He should be back by playoffs. He's not a bad fourth liner defensive responsible for C who shuts everything down, uh, but doesn't score at all either. So nothing happens when he's on the ice, but uh, his LTIR money, LTIR money actually give, gave the Leafs more space to go and do stuff this deadline, which is they did. And we'll get into it in a, in a couple minutes here, but uh, yeah, this, this move in a vacuum again, I, I think it's a fine move. Um, obviously the, the cap space thing was uh, um, cheeky as well, but even just like if they would have picked him up for a seventh round pick in for playoff depth in general, I don't hate the move. It's a solid fourth line shutdown guy. And, you know, 
Columbus wasn't going to resign him anyways. Yeah, exactly. If if Eng, you want to take Engvall out, or if Engvall gets hurt or something, you you could do a lot worse at four C than Riley Nash. It kind of reminds me of the Brian Boyle trade, just better in every way. Yeah, he didn't give up near as much, and you know Riley Nash is arguably probably just as effective as Brian Boyle was at that point. And yeah, it's good depth if like Spezza or someone like oh, that goes down too in the playoffs, or yeah, whatever's just not working, you can sub him in. It's always good to have, you know. I think what they say the average uh, over the past five cup winners has been like 15 or 16 forwards used or during a playoff run and like eight and a half defensemen or something. So you, you need depth at that position. And uh, yeah, they, they just got to help them acquire it. Exactly. They definitely didn't have 15 better forwards than uh, Riley Nash. So I like it. Seventh round pick pretty hard to complain about giving up. Yep. Um, the next one, uh, another one kind of in that range, the Detroit Red Wings give up Patrick Nemeth, uh, 50% retained to the Colorado Avalanche for a 2022 fourth round pick. Uh, you know, again, like Nemeth is a uh, good shutdown defenseman, I would say. You know, he's he doesn't provide anything offensively, but uh, his defensive numbers over the past three years have been really strong. And given how many injuries uh, the Avalanche have had on the blue line, it's uh, not a bad pickup for some depth. Yeah, I don't need it. It's hard to complain about a fourth for uh what is he like an average-ish defenseman? Yeah, I would say he's a four slash five guy. Like he's he he will easily be playing on their third pair, which is like all you need him to do. And if he just goes out there and doesn't get scored on, but doesn't score anything, like the Avs have plenty of guys who will go score goals for them. They don't need him to do that, you know? Yeah, they do not need uh although it's always welcome, but like there's no value in the Avs adding like uh Sammy Vatnin for the power play type. So Going for yeah. defensive defenseman makes sense for them. Exactly. Uh, and then their second move, they also added Devin Dubnik as a depth goaltender for Greg Pattern. Uh, okay, so I had a lot of thoughts on this when it happened because part of me says that I kind of understand where the team's coming from. Where So obviously Grubauer is their starter. Grubauer's been amazing this year. Uh, Francouz was supposed to be their backup. He was, he's been hurt all year. Doesn't look like he's going to be back. Uh, and then Hunter Misco was supposed to be their backup from there. And he just, you know, he hasn't, I, mean, I think he got hurt and then just, you know, hasn't been working out since like he posted, I'm trying to pull up his stats right now, posted an 838 in five games, the 4.16 goals against averages here, just not, not good at all. So, um, you know, they, they want more depth than that. They went out and got, uh, uh, Jonas Johansson from Buffalo, who was described as the worst goalie I've ever seen from a scout who has spent 15 plus years in the NHL. Um, and he put his name to that too. Like he was a writer for Buffalo. Um, so they wanted more depth than that. And they went and got Devin Dubnik and uh, Devin Dubnik is not much of an upgrade. I don't think on Jonas Johansson, I, I'm torn because part of me says I get there's something to like goaltending is such voodoo that we may as well go find a guy we've seen be good three years ago. But it was also three years ago, and Dubnik's been so bad that, like, the chances that he, like, your random Hunter Misko or AHL goaltender is better than him is probably good enough that, like, you didn't, didn't need to give up a pick for Devin Dubnik, you know? 100%. Like, it's it's hard for it to be the end of the world, but, like, Dubnik wasn't even really that good. His save percentage was just aggressively inflated by those Minnesota Wild, like, dominant expected goals against teams. Yeah, like in his past four years, 
He's had a goal saved above average twice, and those were in three and four years ago, in 17, 18, and 8.98, and in 18, 19, and 7.54. In 19, 20, he was minus 15.45, and this year he's been a minus 4.05. And the goals above expected have been negative, very, very negative each year, like all near the bottom of the league all four of those years. And so, you know, in Minnesota, I think it was probably fair to say that, like, it was a mix of both that Minnesota gave up so little that it's almost unfair to, you know, put that large expected number on Dubnik. But at the same time, it's not like he was godly, as you said. Like, he was probably just somewhere in the middle where he was a perfectly average goalie, and that's kind of what they needed to get them into the playoffs with that kind of team. And, like, like it just I, – I don't know. Like, I if you're – because part of me thinks if you're getting down to your second or third string goalie anyways, you're probably pretty screwed. Like, and we saw that last year, like they had Hutchinson. There's just, there's not many teams that are good enough or have three good enough goalies where it's like, you can realistically feel comfortable with your third string goalie in it. So like, I don't know, I would have been okay just seeing them use one of their young guys versus a pick for Devin Dubnik. It's only a fifth and you, you know, you get Greg Patteron salary off your books, but like, it just, it doesn't seem that great. No, I'd probably rather just take a shot on somebody who might be good than someone who's pretty certainly bad. But like you said, if you're down, it's a weird thing about people talking about goaltending depth. Like no one has enough goaltending depth. They're happy they're playing their third stringer in the playoffs anyways. So it's almost a pointless upgrade. Yeah, like there's probably what, seven or eight teams that don't even mind if, and then some of those aren't even playoff teams. There's probably like five teams that don't mind that their backups playing in a playoff series. And then like, from there, there's almost no team that is feeling okay with their third goalie in, you know, like just that he's going to save a game or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It seems a little unnecessary. Um, the next deal that happened, April 10th, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets acquire a first and a third round pick from Tampa Bay. David Savard goes from Columbus to the uh, Red Wings, who then retain 50% of his salary. Uh, and then Savard goes to the, the Lightning. So the deal ends up being uh, Tampa sends a fourth to the Red Wings for their salary problems. Uh, they retain 50%, use their money, and they're retaining. Uh, they send a first and a third to uh, the Jackets for Savard, and they get Savard um, at 50% retained. Uh, and they also get Brian Lashoff, which is nothing. He's an AHL player. But, uh, yeah, so basically they pay an extra fourth-round pick. This is not the only three-team deal. Uh, we will see this uh, this um, deadline here. Uh, Columbus is involved in another one coming up. But this is a tidy piece of work for Columbus and a really smart acquisition for Detroit here, too, just getting a fourth-round pick to use up money and cap space you weren't going to use anyways. Yeah, I love these that these trades are becoming more common. Teams getting smarter and just using that cap space to buy draft picks, essentially. I'm a little surprised it happened this year as often as it did, though, given how cash poor everyone is. Yeah, no kidding. I think it helps that, you know, Savard doesn't make too much. Like, I think they're retaining $1 million on him. And I'm assuming of real money, that would be about probably, like, I don't, I don't even know. Less than a million, I think. I don't know if his contract's even... Oh yeah, it's just I guess it is four million total salary, base salary, but still like so they're they're paying him like a million bucks, and Detroit's one of the richest teams that are out there, right? So it's not like they're hurting for money, but um, yeah, I, I thought this was great for uh, Columbus. We'll get into Columbus is uh, deadline as a whole in their later trade here. But uh, what were your thoughts on from the Lightning's perspective? Because, you know, I really like David Savard. I thought he was one of the best uh, players available at this deadline, but that's one hell of a price to pay for him. And you know, like for a team like Tampa, it's clear that they like, like he'll fit that Shattenkirk mold of, you know, guy they picked up for a year and should be a, a pretty big contributor on their second pair or whatever. But um, he's not even having a great season this year. 
you know, offensively he's been a mess, but they, you know, they're probably just going to rely on him defensively, which is what he can bring. But I just, I really thought that was a really expensive price for Tampa Bay. Yeah. Like if he's that expensive, go get Ryan Murray instead. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I know people are going to be sick of that. And like, I guess, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, there's just probably like the, the value that Savard brings is enough that you want to trade for him. But if it's costing you that much, bringing in someone that's like 10% worse than Savard, even if you think for like 60% less of the cost is definitely more worth it for Tampa, who didn't even have a set first round pick last year because they traded for Coleman and Goudreau. A hundred percent. And the weirdest thing is this is one of those trades where everybody goes, well, if they win the cup, then it doesn't matter. But like when, if the Tampa Bay Lightning win the cup, it'll be because Hedman is carrying a pair on his own. McDonough's playing well. And then Kucherov, Point, Palat, and those guys Stam- are Stamkos, fun. yeah. Stamkos, Vasilevsky. Like, Savard will be like the 14th name that you get to if they win the cup. So it's not even like it's that special in terms of like they, they could do it without him. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, so the difference between him and Murray is he's a right-handed D, Murray's a left-handed D, but like, and I, I, I guess there just wasn't too many options. But, yeah, like I would assume Hedman's, Hedman's still going to play like with Cernak or probably. And then I would assume it's going to be McDonough and Savard as your second pair and Sergachev as, and Cal Foot as your third pair or whatever. It's just like – and that's great. Like, again, like Tampa should – in my mind, Tampa is still the favorite to win the Cup this year. I think they have the best chance, you know, of going back-to-back. They look primed to do it. Um, the team – only team even relatively close to them in my mind is Colorado. But, like – the David Savard moves the needle, what, like 1%, 2%? And for a first, second, and f- or first, third, and fourth, or whatever it was that they paid, that's just a lot to move up that little of a percentage when your team's already that good. Exactly, because who's he replacing on the blue line? Uh, I'm assuming he's probably bumping um, Cal Foot down. And uh, sorry, I just closed their cap friendly. I assume he's probably bumping Cal foot down and then replacing like uh, Jan Ruta's on LTIR right now. I don't know if he's even played a game for them this year. Um, and then their taxi squad's got Luke Shen as their right-handed D. So like bumping Luke Shen out of the lineup is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But like at that price, it's just so expensive that it's like you could go and pick up probably someone else on a right, like, like problem someone else as a right-handed D and be just as okay, or at least, or not so much worse off that you're like worried about it, right? Like, a hundred percent. And I think it's especially bad with a defenseman because although I have no way of proving this, I'm reasonably certain that the NHL market is a lot less efficient with defensemen. Like, it's easier to find a good defenseman for cheap than it is. Yeah, I mean, like, it feels like teams just don't know how to evaluate them often, right? Like. Yeah, they just kind of randomly fall in love with the Tyson Berries of the world who just have point totals. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah, or like or like a Braden Coburn who just hits and blocks a lot of shots when it's like that doesn't actually provide that much value either, right? Like, Yeah. But like, for example, like I guess I should maybe pull up his numbers before I make this comparison, but like how much worse off do you think the Tampa Bay Lightning would be if they gave up like a – sixth round pick for Troy Stetcher who has two years at 1.7 million left. Like, I was just going to bring up like a Stetcher of the world. I would rather have Stetcher for like a depth pick than Savard for a first. Yeah. Like I would rather Savard as a player, but like if the, 
the price is that much different. Like a, like a Stetcher type where he's clearly a third pairing defenseman. I think just with how good that team is would have made more sense to me. A hundred percent. And like Although, part of, part of this doesn't matter because they're all, they're all in right now, obviously as well. But like, I don't know, like the other part of me is just like, if I'm this team, they're so good and they have such a good core that I would be not wanting to waste every single asset I have for this one or two year period. Because like, to me, this core is so damn good that there's a definite avenue here where they're like the new Pittsburgh Penguins and they're good for like seven or eight years, like win a cup good for that long. Yeah, they could, especially with how good point is at his age, like depending on how a couple of their stars age, it looks like they might have a, they could, if they're smart, have a very long window. Yeah, like you need, obviously you need Kucherov and Stamkos to stay relatively healthy as they get older, but like Kucherov's 27. It's not like, like even if we're putting a normal age curve on these guys, it's not like Kucherov's falling off a cliff within the next three or four years, you know? Um, so like they, there is just an avenue here for them to be good for at least half a decade still. And then, you know, once you get into there, it's like Victor Hedman's getting close to 34, 35 or whatever. And, and that's a little more scary, but uh, like my bigger point is just like, they, they, everyone just marvels at how good of a job they've done in accumulating assets and stuff up to this point. That's true. Like they've done a great job finding depth players, but you know, they don't have, they didn't have their first or second. I don't think last year, they don't have a first or second or fourth this year. They don't have a second or third already next year. And you know, they're going to be spending assets again next year. So like, it's just one of those things where I, I think if I'm this team, I would have rather see them maybe pick up not as great of a player for a lower cost. And then, you know, be more set to go for it again in a couple of years. But um, at the end of the day, it's not like it really matters because this is, as I just mentioned, the cup favorite and this helps them even a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I thought maybe there was better, better alternatives for Tampa. Yeah, I completely agree. Although I guess it's worth noting that if any team in the league does deserve the benefit of the doubt, it's probably Tampa Bay Lightning. Absolutely. And again, like I don't like Savard helps their team. They are better now than they were two days ago or whenever this trade was made. Right. But it's just like the opportunity cost of what that first round could first third and fourth could bring versus, you know, what you actually got in return is, is something that you got to take into account. A hundred percent. A small one here, New Jersey trades for Jonas Siegenthaler for a third round pick. Uh, the condition it's Arizona's draft pick is currently listed conditional between Arizona and New Jersey. If the pick is not transferred to New Jersey, the third round pick will be changed to New Jersey's 2021 third round pick instead of Arizona's. I have no idea what the condition on that is. I don't care. It's a third round pick in 2021. Um, good piece of acquisition for the capitals, I guess, for someone they weren't going to use. Um, I don't really know why the devils are spending a third round pick on Jonas Siegenthaler. Like, we just went through their left-handed D depth. And again, like it's not like it's bad, but Siegenthaler is what their third best one at best and their fourth best left-handed D at worst right now. Maybe he plays his offhand and goes to the right side, but you know, I, I don't know, like at 23, he's 23 years old. So he's got a little bit of room to grow still. It just seemed like kind of an unnecessary move uh, for a rebuilding team. Yeah, it's tough to hate too much because, like, he's young and he's not, like, a disaster. But, like, unnecessary does seem to be a really good word for it. Yeah, like, he's got good defensive results over the last three years. But, again, like, those are the most noisy thing. He doesn't bring anything offensively. So, it's not the worst trade in the world. I just wasn't really sure what what the thought process was for um, New Jersey, but that's okay. Uh, Another small one here. The Canadians acquired John Merrill from the Detroit Red Wings for Hayden Verbeek and a fifth round pick in 2021. Um, Again, in a vacuum, I like this trade. I I think Merrill's a 
a defensive defenseman on for the third pair. I should also point out that the, the Habs waived Victor Mete before making this trade, and then Mete got claimed by the Ottawa Senators. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, if you look at it purely for Merrill in, Mete out, um, you get way less offense but more defensive impact. Uh, what were your thoughts on this trade? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not – gonna move the needle at all but like it's not like it was a huge cost so it's hard to complain yeah like i'm uh, sorry if you can hear my cat in the background i just think it's dinner time but um yeah like it's one of those things where i think and we'll get into this with a the trade they made uh in a little bit too like just the cost i mean if you would have just added Merrill without having to lose mente i think it's okay so if, like if you look in the vacuum as the trade purely i don't mind it for montreal uh when you look at what they lost for some of the guys they brought in it doesn't make as much sense to me yes that's fair although they really don't like mente for some reason i think it's dumb no. that they but like yeah like it's like they that they view him clearly as like not an nhl level defenseman which is odd because all evidence shows he's at least competent. Yeah, exactly. And again, we'll get into him in a second. Uh, here's the other big trade that the Columbus Blue Jackets made. And we'll, we'll got two Leaf ones in a row here as well. So we'll get into both of them. Uh, obviously, the big one here is uh, the Nick Felino trade. So, uh, again, a three-way trade uh, to Toronto or to, to Columbus goes a first-round pick from Toronto and a fourth-round pick from Toronto. To uh, San Jose, who was 50% of Nick Foligno's salary, so 1.375 on the books, and a fourth-round pick from Toronto. And to Toronto goes Stefan Nozin, who will probably be in the AHL for them, and Nick Foligno at 50% retain. Uh, so Toronto adds Nick Foligno without removing anyone from their roster, um, but to do so gives up a first this year, a fourth next year, and a fourth this year. Uh, we talked, like, give me your thoughts on this as a Leafs fan first, and then I'll give you mine. This trade irritated the hell out of me. This is the exact kind of trade I wanted them to avoid at the deadline because they paid a premium price for a non-premium player. And the only thing they're going to get is the difference between Nick Foligno, who's like average between like Alex Kerfoot on their second line, who's like slightly below average. Yeah. Like Kerfoot hasn't had a good year or anything like that, but um I think the best way to know that Toronto probably didn't do that great in this trade is the um, four guys from Toronto media thinking this is an absolute win for Kyle Dubas on this deadline with like Steve Simmons, Michael Trakos. Uh, I forget who the other two guys were as well, but um, let me look it up. But yeah, there was like pretty much every guy. Oh, here it is. Steve Simmons, Dean Blundell, Craig Button, and uh, Michael Trakos were the four guys who uh, thought this trade was, or this deadline was an absolute win and this trade specifically for Toronto. And that's usually a good way to know that the trade probably wasn't that great. Um, it's, I don't know. Like I saw people, the takes range from both ways to this was the best trade that they've ever made to this is going to ruin the franchise. And in the reality, like it's somewhere in the middle, like, I think it's fine. It's a classic deadline trade where you pick up a quote unquote gritty guy or whatever. But I think my biggest problem is the opportunity cost with this trade, not the trade itself. Like in just a vacuum, this trade is fine. It's what you see at most deadlines is an overpay. Sure. But like just about every cup contender makes an overpay here or there to try and go quote, get their guy. Like I think we would have said last year. Um, and again, I'm not going to try and compare them, but like, 
Blake Coleman and Goudreau were less of an overpay because they had an extra year. But like, if you would have saw either of those guys getting a first round pick, you probably would have been surprised. Right. Um, So in a vacuum, it's okay. But then again, when you look at like, like if this is the price of one and two fours, just go get Taylor Hall for this price. You know what I mean? Like, and there's other factors at play, obviously Taylor Hall to full no trade clause. So, you know, it sounds like he really wanted to go to somewhere like Boston and maybe he used that no trade clause for it to come true, but we'll get in the Taylor Hall in a second, but he goes for a second and a middling prospect. Are you telling me there's no way you could have put him through Columbus? So Columbus could retain or uh, through San Jose, sorry. So San Jose could retain 1.5 to, or like 2 million or whatever of his salary and Buffalo retains another 4 million. So you're getting hit Hall at two something two point something million dollars. Like I just, to me, the opportunity cost of what they could have had versus what they did get is the biggest issue in this trade. A hundred percent. Cause it's, it's what every like average GM would do. I just expected Kyle Dubas to be better than an average GM. I had faith in that. Like it's, it's exactly what all the contenders do. You overpay for a marginal upgrade of the deadline, but yeah. And I, the tall, no move clause thing. I don't know if this is true, but I read it from, smart people who I trust on Leafs Twitter said they listened to Bob McKenzie say the Leafs could have had Taylor Hall if they wanted him. And yeah, and it, it sounds like they didn't want him, which like, see, that line of thinking, I don't understand all. And again, like there was, I saw people who like, I, I genuinely like respect and, and like their opinions on Twitter and they were like, well, haven't you thought that maybe this isn't an EASHL team and like fully know fits their needs better? It's like, where did this narrative that Taylor Hall sucks defensively comes from? Like, where like just because he scores points and he's not scoring points this year doesn't mean he's just some bum in his own end or whatever. Like he's not as good as Felino, but he's ten times better at Felino than Felino at producing offense. Yeah, exactly. And like Taylor Hall is like a really good like four checker. Yeah, which is like it's kind of what people seem to think. Which I don't know. I'm sure Felino's good at it too in a different way, but like that seems to be what they want from Felino. It's not like Taylor Hall can't recover a loose puck. No, like, and like defensively, Taylor Hall is over his past three seasons have been very slightly below average defensively and just very above average offensively. Whereas like Felino has been very below average offensively, but, uh, you know, slightly above or above average defensively. And it's like, like, uh, like, again, like I don't hate uh, again. And like, we've talked to a bunch of people who say Nick Foligno is a horrible trade or whatever awful fit. I don't think it's that. I don't think he hurts. I think he could fit really well onto that third line that Keith wants to be a checking line. And then that opens up uh, Hyman to go play on one of the top two lines, which he just, he fits really well there, but like just, yeah, the, the price versus what you could have had is my biggest problem with this trade where it's like, it's probably going to be a fine fit. I think they're a better team now than they were before the trade deadline. It's just kind of like that Tampa thing where it's, quite expensive for what they what they got right like yeah exactly it's a similar thing i i believe they are better i think they're gonna play felino with nylander and Tavares. if i had to I, guess i would assume he starts there but like i i could very easily see you know him sliding up or down and again like that that option's not a bad thing to have it's just was it worth a first and two fours because you know once we get in their other trades here they are looking very weak on draft picks in the upcoming drafts hundred percent. And like the big problem is like we said, they're better. Their cup odds per DraftKings Sportsbook yesterday were plus 800 to win the cup. Guess what they are today? Plus 750. Plus 800. Yeah. Like, I don't know how efficient DraftKings uh, Sportsbook is, but like, it uh, doesn't shock me at all that they did not improve. 
and you get no, first. and well, like I, I will say that you know, and we'll get into the rest of their division in a little bit here too. But um, the one thing they have going for them is they definitely improved more than any other team in their division. Like we'll get into the Jets' moves or lack thereof, and um, so it's very like I. The playoffs are so random that obviously within reason anything can happen. But like I would almost be, it's getting to the point where I'd almost be surprised if Toronto doesn't make it out of the playoffs, out of this division. Sure. Sorry, like yeah. They- they were already better than everyone else by a long shot and improved by more than everyone else, which is some bright side. Yeah. Like aside from obviously like an 800 stretch, seven game stretch of 800 goaltending on one side or a 950 on the other side or whatever. It's just like all things equal. If both play, if both teams even play average to what they should in this division, like Toronto is the best team by a mile to come out of it. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And for the, and I guess, if you want to galaxy brain it too, like the Leafs aren't like a terrible defensive team like they used to be, but like it's easier to improve the Leafs by adding a defensive player than an offensive player because they're still kind of mediocre at it. Yeah. Like maybe you see more value in that. I don't know. It's just like the gap between how good Taylor Hall is versus uh, Felino is why it's so aggressive. I think like people are acting as if like Taylor Hall, like it just the, the narrative around Taylor Hall is messed up. And again, well, we'll get this in a second, but like, that's what I just didn't understand. That was my biggest problem. When it comes, again, if you look at this trade in a vacuum, it's probably a slight overpay, but it's not that bad. When you look at it, factoring everything in, it's like, okay, this is a little worse. Um, they also picked up Dave Riddich, 50% retain, 1.375 for a third round pick. Uh, to me, like we talked about their depth goaltending and, you know, we were both kind of on the side of you probably shouldn't do it because again, like much like the avalanche, if you're getting down to your third goalie, how good are you? Um, this is one of the few teams that now probably get down to their third goalie and aren't like absolutely shitting themselves. But to me, this also suggests Frederick Anderson is probably done for the regular season. If Freddie Anderson's cooked for the year, it makes a little bit of sense. But yeah, I, I don't think you do this if Freddie's coming back. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, and Jack Campbell's been amazing. Will, can he, like, obviously he won't be 945 good or whatever he's been in 11 and 0, but if he can be a starting goaltender, that's huge for them. But I don't, I don't hate the Riddick to pick up, you know, for the third round pick. It's they're clear they're going all in this year. They want to win and they're leaving no stone unturned here where it's like, if Freddie's not ready or Freddie goes down and you're not sure about Jack Campbell, Dave Riddick is going to step in and Riddick is an okay backup. Like he's not great, but you know, there's, Worst goalies to have than him. A third's probably a little pricey when you look at his value, but for a team, it, they clearly just are going all in at this deadline. A hundred percent. And their window is now, it kind of feels like Kyle Dubas read a book on like contingency planning or something before this deadline. Cause it feels like he just wanted to make sure they, they're prepared in every situation. Yeah. And we'll get into their last trade real quick. It's Ben Hutton for a fifth round pick again, basically just more depth and security. Um, the one thing I will say is, I, I saw a take on Twitter a bunch today. Again, and from like people I respect, it's like actively celebrating and calling Dubas like the goat for picking up Riddich and Felino without moving a roster player out. I was like, that's like not that impressive. In fact, like it's it's one of the, just the most mediocre uses of cap space I've seen in a while. Like it's not bad, but like people were actively praising it. It's like this is some just genius thing. It's like, well, sure, like it's not the bit like i don't know like it's not that good you know what i mean like that also the term roster player is so meaningless like if wayne simmons goes the other way in a taylor hall trade that's not bad because they gave up a roster player no not at all like i, I just I, I don't know people were just like going losing their minds basically on like 
Kyle Dubas not having to give up a, like a player or anything like that. It's like, well, yeah, because he just gave up his entire draft class for the next two years. Yeah. Like they have nothing at this point. And that was the other weird thing was everybody's like, well, it's a first and a weird, it's a late first and a weird draft. But the way I interpret the way this draft is going to be the draft pick value is that to begin with, we know there's only like 15 or so picks that are like truly valuable in the draft. The first 15 are like what really matters. So what I think how I interpret this year is most of the value will be added to the pre to the next 200 picks and that value will be taken from the top picks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if this is the year I would be stacking up with like fourth to seventh round picks, because like there's actively going to be more than a couple guys who should have been like second round talents or whatever, sliding all the way down to round six, just because no one got to see them. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, like, they just don't have that now either. They have a second, a fifth, and a sixth this year. Next year, they have a first, a second, and a sixth. Yeah. And, and like, I'm, I'm not like super, like, I, I, I would assume that they probably, like, this summer, I could see them trading, say, Travis Dermott's RFA rights for like a sixth round pick. And like, maybe you get Kerfoot for like a third or something like that, or a fourth round pick, or even like a Pierre Engvall if you need to trade him. Like, there's definitely ways, and they'll probably trade down with their second round pick. But like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, people are praising not having to give up an asset or a prospect. It's like, well, yeah, because you just destroy your draft all. And like, again, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you got to also acknowledge that you spent a ton in your draft capital. And if you're going to do it in one year, sure, I guess it would be this year. But as you said, like I would be more comfortable giving up a first and a second this year and, and just taking shots with like a fourth, fifth, sixth, round, seventh round pick. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, there's no way they are actually going to only pick three times, but like sucks that they're going to have to give stuff up again to recoup that. Although they are in a win now mode. So they're, yeah, they're, I, I, like they're, they're, their team is better now than they were before. But yeah, it definitely looks like they went all in on the contingency plans. And there's no way anything could happen here that, uh, um, they haven't, you know, like foreseen other than obviously like Austin Matthews going down or something like that. Right. So um, I don't know. They're clearly the best team in this division. I thought they paid a premium for the guys that they got, but uh, they're in a better spot now than they were before the deadline. And uh, like, if they go on a cup final run, no one's going to be complaining about it in a year or two. Right. So but I guess. Exactly. And exactly. They're better than they were two days ago and they are prepared for anything, everything that you can realistically be prepared for. So that's good, at least. Yeah. Um, on to another team. I, I should also say for Calgary, third round pick, not bad. Uh, 2022, but that's okay. Like, you weren't, you weren't, you're not making the playoffs. Probably weren't going to re-sign Redditch, and you could this offseason if you want to anyways. So uh, Ottawa trades a pair of their defenders. Mike Riley for a third round pick, which kind of impressed that he got that much value. We talked about him as a on our preview show. Uh, and then they got rid of Braden Coburn as well for a seventh round pick. Uh, and then I'll throw their third one in here as well. Uh, they got rid of Good Branson for a seventh round pick in 2023. Um, the Good Branson one looks worse when you realize they gave up a fifth this year for him. Um, I am just impressed they got anything for him at the deadline. So they get a third and two sevenths for Coburn, Gabranson, Mike Riley. They also claim Victor Mete off waivers. I'm pleasantly surprised, uh, impressed with what they've got done this deadline. Uh, minor deadline, you know, Mike Riley was the one that you could look back and forth on. Mike Riley's been useful, but in my opinion, you can find a Mike Riley for pretty cheap most years, either via free agency or taking a contract off someone's book, you know, which is kind of what they did with guys like DeMello or even like a Mike Riley type. So I've been pretty impressed with Ottawa's deadline. It's quiet one compared to years past, but 
Um, I've been quite okay with that. I think all the moves they made are great. And, you know, uh, Dorian really took uh, DJ Smith's tools away. So he's now has to play Eric Branstrom and Victor Mete in the lineup at the same time. So um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed, you know, they cut a lot of the dead weight on this team and they look better for it. Yeah. That's the real, cause obviously if they're no pick for Riley's great, but I think the real win is just getting Branstrom minutes and you get some certainty on if you can play or not. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I really do like the Victor Mente claim. I don't think he's going to be a stutter or anything, but he's at worst a third pair defenseman. He's and like, how old do you think Mete is right now? 23. He's 22. Like he feels like he's been in the years for in the league for like six years. He's already got 180 game, 85 games played like through four seasons or whatever. It's just because he made it as an 18 year old. He feels way older than that. There's still potential development for him here too. Like I'm not saying he's going to turn into a stud or anything like that, but you know, there's a, a not uh, there's a non-zero chance that he, you know, he turns into a better than what he is right now. And that's a solid, solid ad for Ottawa for free, considering they, you replace basically replace Coburn for Mete. And then, you know, you hope Branstrom can step into Riley's role. Yeah, exactly. And this weird thing happens anytime a regression model likes a third pair defenseman, everybody takes it and assumes that it's the fact that we can't properly account for quality of competition. But like the thing is with Mete, even if that's the case, which it's probably not, but let's pretend it is. Um, it means at worst, he's going to succeed in a third pair role. You already have Shabbat for the first pair on the left side. So he's not going to be playing there. And then, so at worst, he can play comfortably where he was playing. And at best, he can be a second pair defenseman at some point in the future. Yeah, like neither of those outcomes are bad, especially at 700K or whatever. I would imagine, you know, if it works out this year, they'll probably try and re-sign him to a one-year deal. And because, you know, Sanderson's not coming for another year yet anyway. So they have a year and a bit to, for the two sides to really work together and give him a legitimate shot. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was um, – Quietly, just a good good deadline for Ottawa. You know, um, there wasn't a lot to do, but you know, I would have liked to see them move Dzingel and Anisimov. I I would assume with Anisimov, they probably didn't want to retain salary, which takes him out of any market. And then, uh, you know, maybe with Dzingel, the, the the price just wasn't there. So um, whatever. Like yeah, I thought that was a I'm pleasantly surprised. I'll, I'll say that. Like, there's not too many times with Ottawa where it's like you're happy with everything they did, but today is one of those where I I have no complaints. Yeah, and that makes sense. It was a good day for them. Seemed like it. Yep. Um, we're getting to the trades that broke around midnight. Those are those two all just happened. It was weird. I woke up today at like seven in the morning to six trades happening last night and seven trades happening at midnight. I go, why would you not just wait till noon today to do this? But um, yeah, get them done as early as you can. And I guess that is uh, 14 hours for the trade deadline early. But uh, the, the Penguins acquired Jeff Carter from the LA Kings for a conditional third and a conditional fourth. Conditions on the third round pick, it can upgrade to a second round pick if the Penguins make the cup final and Carter plays 50% of those games. Conditions on the fourth is it can upgrade to a third if Carter plays at least 50 games during the 2021-2022 season. So um, it sounds like they're basically, Pittsburgh said, you know, if Carter's a useful contributor for them, he'll, uh, you know, they'll get a, they'll upgrade the picks so they're fine with that. And that makes sense to me. Um, I this trade surprised me just because I had no idea Jeff Carter was on the market. Uh, it sounded like he was kind of wanting to retire if he got moved out of LA, but I guess Pittsburgh's kind of one place where he changed his mind and he was okay either playing behind Crosby and Malkin or with one of them. And that's fair enough. Uh, Carter's also a 50% retained. So he's at $2.6 million for the, this year and next. Uh, don't hate this for Pittsburgh. Again, we talked about how they just kind of have to keep going for it. 
Uh, Jeff Carter was an out of nowhere name that I was not expecting to be available, but at 50% retained, I don't hate the price for him. Yeah. I think he's kind of expensive still. Like he's not that good, but like, it's one of those trades where I think GMs are smart to do it, where they put those kind of conditions on makes it almost a win-win where like the trade upgrades if we reach the cup final, but like no one's going to come back at you angry that you made the cup final. So yeah, if you lose a second or whatever because you made the cup final instead of a third, it's like no one's going to be that pissed off about it, right? Like, um, I, w- I will say it's pretty funny how little or how clear it is that Pittsburgh just doesn't care about the future. These picks are 2022 and 2023, so they're already just dumping those assets out to try and get better right now. And it's like it makes sense when you look at, like, the age of Brian Burke and, you know, I – He's claimed they got to get better, but I don't think he wants to sit through a six-year rebuild or anything like that. So I could see a situation where it's like they just dump all the assets right now and or, you know, in, in four years from now because it's not going to be their issue. Yeah, 100%. Like, they're, they're so clearly all in. You might as well just keep pushing. Yeah. Um, for LA side, I thought this was a really good piece of deal. You know, like, I, again, I, I agree. Carter's not amazing. I'm just looking through his numbers. They're a little worse than I thought, but he's having a good year this year. Um, for LA, again, any pick you can get is great. So you get a third and a fourth out of this. Perfect. If you get two thirds out of this, perfect. Then I don't see why they wouldn't get two thirds out of this, to be honest. Like, unless Carter just gets really hurt next year or they have a shortened season and he gets hurt. Like, it seems like a shoe in that he'll play 50 games, right? Yeah, I would think so. It seems easy enough unless he gets hurt, but like you're probably more likely than not to be getting two thirds, which is great for a like Carter's useless to the LA Kings. He's not going to be here by the time they're good, even though they had to retain half the salary. I'd rather have two and a half million dollars in cap space and a seventh round pick than Jeff Carter. Never mind possibly two thirds. Yeah, and like like he played 60 games last year, 76 the one before that. He's on pace for 50 games this year. I uh, had 27 and 17, 18, but then 82, 77, 82. So it's like, he really hasn't missed the 50 game. He's missed it once in the past, like seven years or whatever. So I don't see why that would change next year. Um, so yeah, I, I like it from LA's point. Um, next trade, the Taylor Hall, the Taylor Hall trade. This is, uh, you know, this is probably the last one we'll spend a bunch of time on, but the, actually, no, there's one more yet still, but Curtis Lazar and Taylor Hall, 40% or 50% retained, sorry, for Anders Bjork and a second round pick. Taylor Hall doesn't get a first round pick. Um, This blows my mind. Like Felino got way more than Taylor Hall did. Um, You know, you look, uh, Sam Bennett, we'll get to that trade. Sam Bennett got more than Taylor Hall did. This is a steal by Boston. And I just, it's hockey men can continue to confuse me. Yeah, I was pretty irritated about the Felino trade when it happened. And I'm glad we were, uh, couple of us were drinking once the Taylor Hall news broke because that made me so pissed off. It's just one of those things where it's like, like the discourse from Taylor Hall on, on Taylor Hall and what he's been this year or even the past two years is just crazy to me. Like that's so stupid. And the worst is people are talking about him as if he's cooked because he's had two quote down years in a row. But this year has only been 37 games long, and he only played like like he didn't play that off that much last year either. It's not like this has been like 200 games of that him struggling to finish or whatever. Jeffler put it the best way, I think, when he said, "If you slapped a name like Ricard Raquel or Barkley Goudreau and Taylor Hall's underlying numbers, people would be so jacked up to go and get him at the deadline and call it just the steal of the century." But because it's Taylor, like because it's Taylor Hall, people just go, oh, we expect better. The points aren't there for whatever reason. And like, 
I saw like Greg Wyshynski tweeting out today, like, uh, I'm going to bring it up. It was basically that like he had nine goals in his last 100 games or whatever. And that's why Felino went for more. And people were like, well, Felino has seven goals in his last 100 games. And it, the value from what Taylor Hall brings offensively, considering he's just been had bum shooting luck is nowhere near what like Felino brings in any aspect. It's like, at what point do we stop just looking at goals per 100 games as a mark for why people shouldn't be trading? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Also assists exist like for people. I, it irritates me when people act like goals are more valuable than assists inherently one way or the other, because either way, the puck ends up in the back of the net. Yeah. Like, and that's it, the point of the hockey. If I, if I miss that. It's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you would, you would actively think like Taylor Hall had five points this year and, just couldn't skate or something like that. Like I just, the, the, the discourse on him has been incredible. Like, again, it's the perfect way. Like if you took away the name Taylor Hall and just made his name, I'll give you a name from last year, Andre Cashin, Corsi yeah. God didn't have great on ice goal numbers. And everybody was like, Oh, he's going to explode with the Bruins. And it was so obvious to everyone with a brain, just like this one is. Yeah. Like Dom Lushishan has been killing it today. Uh, G GSVA this season, Taylor Hall, who sucks and is terrible and is having the worst season of his career, 0.44 wins or nine, 0.96 wins per 82. Nick Foligno, hero legend, gritty veteran, who's definitely more valuable than Hall, 0.07 wins, 0.14 per 82. Like even, and again, he goes, and then he follows this up by, are me and my uh, little model wrong? Maybe, but is the value difference between the two things that aggressive? No, not at all. There's no way it should be. 100%. And there's also this weird thing where Taylor Hall, where everybody likes to have it both ways, where Peter Shirelli's an idiot, Buffalo's a disaster, Arizona is stupid. All of those things are true, but it's also Taylor Hall's fault that he's been on bad teams his whole life. Those things cannot be true at the same time. Either Shirelli's an idiot or it's Hall's fault, and everybody knows which one it is. Yeah, like the idea that he's some locker room cancer or whatever is just like, the dumbest narrative I've ever heard. And like, like Greg, so here's Greg Roshinsky's tweet. Again, like I, I like Greg Roshinsky. I think it's funny. I Puck Soup's one of my favorite podcasts. He goes to one of the, something, you know, if someone looked at the Felino Savard trades and then compared to Taylor Hall, he goes, I keep seeing this over and over and over again. And no one seems to want to admit that for various reasons, this was the worst market for Taylor Hall. Full no move, 18 goals in one or two games for three different teams, Taylor Hall. And Don co-tweets and goes, maybe one day we'll move past shit like 18 goals in 102 games is anything meaningful. But again, the argument didn't stop Nick 17 in his last 109 games, Felino from netting a first and a fourth. And like, that's just, that's basically, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It honestly is. And like the worst part about this trade now is I need to root for Taylor Hall to be good to like say stuff it idiots, which means I now have to root for the Boston Bruins. Hands down the worst. And that was, the extra salt in the wound when the Leafs aggressively overpay for Felino that he goes to fucking Boston. Yeah, it's like at least you don't have to play Boston in the playoffs this year, but it's like still, like it's just one of those things where it's like I don't want to see Boston do good, but I don't want to hear the idiots say that Taylor Hall's a $3 million player because he's actually a locker room cancer or something like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it, the, the narrative that Taylor Hall makes his teams worse in spite of being good at scoring more goals than he allows is the most irritating thing in the world to me. 
It honestly is. And it's just like, well, look at, and then like the, the, okay, the worst part about this too is they go, look at how bad the teams were when they acquired them. Arizona won a playoff round for the first time in like a decade. Yeah, true. I, I get it was one of those stupid play in rounds. So it's like, yeah, sure, it barely counts. But like, if again, if this was someone else that we like, if that was Nick Felino going there, people were like, see, look what he helped them do. It helped them win a playoff round for the first time ever. Did they get blown out by Colorado the next round? Yeah, absolutely. But like, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, you can't have it both ways where it's like, he's a locker room cancer, but also we got to ignore the success that his team did have. And like, we're three, again, we're three years removed from him just dragging that New Jersey team to the playoffs. And people just seem to want to forget about it. And it's like, even if that's not the Taylor Hall you're getting, 60% of that is still a very, very, very good player. Exactly. Because he had, he had so high to fall from because he was legitimately a top 10 player in the league at one point. Well, when he won an MVP, obviously. So you can be you can fall very far from that and still be super effective, which is exactly what he's done. Yeah, exactly. It just, it makes no sense. Like we could scream about this forever. We, we got to move on here. We're at about 56 minutes, but I, I'm sure we will, we, we will go back to this as well, but it just, it remains insane to me that uh, uh, that's, this is what happened, you know? Yeah. Poor Taylor Hall. I really want him to do well. And I really want Boston to lose, which is upsetting. Absolutely. Um, qu- quick couple small ones too. We'll, we'll go through some of the smaller ones in about a minute or so. Uh, Kulikov goes from New Jersey to Edmonton. Uh, for a fourth round pick, the conditional on the fourth is it will upgrade to a third if the Oilers win a singular playoff round in these uh, in these playoffs. So it uh, very well could be a third round pick. You know, if they end up playing like Winnipeg, I would say Edmonton should be close to favorite. It would probably be 50-50. Um, Kulkov is having a great year this year. Uh, his He's been very on and off. He's been a guy who has one year pretty good, one year atrocious, one year not bad. Um, not a horrible pickup for Edmonton. Probably could have done a little better, but I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, Kulikov's all right for like a, a depth pick. I don't, I don't hate this acquisition. Not going crazy. There's some value in being like, hey, boys in the room, we bought, I guess. You get a competent enough player. I, I, I kind of like this. Yep, New Jersey keeps adding. You know, they have uh, all their picks next year. Now they have three-fourths and two-fifths, um, so good for them. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is a little strange, just, and again, I don't want to get too hauled up on this, but like, you know, the con- I always love the conditions on picks, but like, there's no way Dmitry Kulikov is the difference between you winning around in the playoffs this year and not, right? Like, that is such a weird condition to add on because it's not like with Taylor Hall, I would understand that, but it's like, what are the odds Dmitry Kulikov is the massive difference that you win game six or lose game six or whatever? Yeah, you're gonna win, you're gonna win or die with McDavid and Dryside. <laughs> like, he makes yeah. almost no difference either way. But either way, again, people won't be complaining if they make it to the second or third round. So uh, Carl Soderberg to the Avalanche for Josh Dickinson and Ryder Wolston. Nothing of, of note really there. You know, Dickinson's 23. Um, so I don't think Soderberg is very good anymore either. He'll be a depth player for the Avs who probably won't even be an everyday lineup guy, but, you know, can chip in here or there if you have a couple injuries add up. So uh, that kind of is what it is. He's not having a great season, but that return kind of suggests that as well, right? Yeah, which makes sense. There's always something aesthetically pleasing about seeing a player's headshot when they get traded and he's wearing the jersey that he's getting <laughs> traded to. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, this one's insane to me. This has got to be one of the worst deals of the Aussie, of the deadline. And, you know, we, we ripped on Florida again. It's time to rip on them one more time. Sam Bennett and a sixth-round pick for a second-round pick. And Emil Heinemann, who is their second-rounder last year, so basically two second-round picks, 
what do you do in Florida? Like Sam Bennett is not a good player. No, he's bad. Best thing Sam Bennett did was get drafted high. Literally. And like, like this is as much as Taylor Hall went for. Yeah. Maybe you could even argue more. This is more because they got uh, Curtis Lazar, who was a fourth line player back with them. Like, yeah. And like, I don't like, I don't think Anders Bjork is any better as a prospect than like, he's, he's way older. So yeah. And the worst part about Bennett is at least when teams uh, were consistently talking themselves into Galchenyuk, you'd be like, well, he did score 30 goals in the NHL at like a 21. Like there was actually some there, there at one point. Sam Bennett has literally never shown a flash of living up to the potential people thought he had ever. No, like Galchenyuk has been like a third line center his whole career or worse. And everyone's like, yeah, like even again, like Galchenyuk's problem was he couldn't play a lick of defense, but he had 13 goals, 20 goals, 30 goals, 17 goals, 19 goals, 19 goals in up until 20 and then 2019 20s where he really fell off with Pittsburgh and Minnesota. But like, like that there's at least flashes there where it's like, yeah, okay. As a depth of ad, it's okay. But like, no one's giving up two second round picks for, for Galchenyuk these days either. Right. Like it was literally just like, we'll take him, I guess, off of waivers and stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, like he's played probably like 5,000 minutes at this point. Like at some point your eyes just, and your eyes and all of the numbers and everything just can't be lying to you. He's probably just not that good. Yeah. He's played 400 games and he's 24 years old. What, how much better is he really going to get from here on out? Like, maybe slightly better. So congrats. You have an okay slash below average third line center on your hands that you just gave up two second round picks for. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. His career worth is in 5,600 minutes is negative 0.4 standing points above replacement. Awesome. Good good job, Florida. That's what you move money out to get money back in for. Nice. He's their third highest paid forward. I don't (laughs) know if someone injured, but that looks weird. Well, Barkov and Huberto got to make more than him. Yep, that's it. Oh, no. Four quest two. Fourth highest paid forward. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's sad is what it is. Yeah, because you don't want to sign that qualifying offer either. No. Um, the Panthers did also pick up Nikita Gusev, Gusev who got uh, terminate the terminated contract with the Devils. Uh, that's a fine pickup. Gusev has not had a good year, but, um, again, 28 years old at I, like, I think he's a minimum deal signing here. No, there's worse bets to have on your taxi squad. Exactly. And he's like led New Jersey in points per hour. I'm pretty sure over his time there, he was awful defensively. So it's not like he's probably going to be a great player on like never or whatever, but there's some flash there to be like, he's worth a shot. Yeah. Um, Chicago and another, another three team trade. I, I, I really love these at uh, San Jose for the second time is using their 50% retain to pick up a pick uh, from Vegas. Uh, Vegas sends to Chicago, a 2021 second and a 2022 third as long. And they also send a fifth round pick, which is Buffalo's in 2022 to San Jose. San Jose takes half of Matias Yanmark's salary. Uh, and then Vegas gets Matias Yanmark at 50% retained and, uh, Nick DeSimon, who I think is just an AHL player and a fifth round pick from Chicago. Uh, yeah, he's 26. Um, I didn't like this trade for Vegas. I thought that, you know, yeah, Mark has a history of being okay defensively, bringing nothing offensively, but he's been a disaster this year. And in a vacuum, if the price would have been lower, maybe it's okay. Like if you would have swapped a fifth for a third, but to give up a second and a third and a fifth and get a fifth and Yanmark back, I thought was uh, an overpayment on Vegas's part. Yeah, it seemed like a very big overpayment, but 
classic deadline. Yeah, like uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like if this deal was made in the offseason, people would be screaming and loud. And like part of it too is like people can kind of say whatever because Vegas still has New Jersey second this year, Winnipeg's fourth this year, Carolina's fifth. And then they have uh, Vancouver's third next year, Winnipeg's fourth next year, and Chicago in their own fifth. So it's like they literally still have six draft picks in out of seven this year, and they have an extra draft pick next year. So it's not like they're hurting on draft picks or anything. It's just like this feels like, uh, you know, one of those, one of the other or the other probably should have got done for Yanmark, but uh, I guess not. Yeah, it seems like a lot for a guy who's not going to help them much, if at all, but it's deadline day. Yeah. Um, again, great, great uh, use of their assets for San Jose. Uh, they didn't have much to sell. We talked about that. We said how that was going to be an issue. And yet, despite not selling a player, they picked up a fourth and a fifth round pick for just simply eating a little bit of money. That That is like, that that's awesome stuff. And I just, it, when I see GMs do it this year, it's like, well, why don't people do that all the time? Like, why don't they realize that that is something smart and they should keep doing like. Yeah, it's great. Free picks. Not literally free, obviously the owner's paying for them, but like if your owner's willing to do it, you should be hunting for these deals aggressively. Absolutely. Um, from Chicago's aspect, I thought there's a great deadline for them. They also got a fourth for Madison Bowie. Uh, and now technically they sent a fifth. So they probably moved up about 20 spots in the draft um, and got off of Madison Bowie. Madison Bowie sucks. He's been awful. I don't know why Vancouver picked them up, but this is not much of anything either way. Like, you know, you go up or down 20 spots and in the fourth slash fifth round of a draft, you know, nothing about it probably won't make a difference, but uh, for Chicago, for Chicago, picking up a second, a third, a fourth, um, they also got Adam Gaudet and then, um, you know, two younger guys for Carl Soderberg. I think this has been a pretty just tidy deadline for them. All things considered. Yeah. Worked out well for them. Nothing huge, but you know, take your, take your jobs. Yeah. It's not like they were going to sell anyone else. Like they're, they have no more UFAs to sell this year. They'll probably sell a little bit more next year. But, yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty good deadline for them just for how quiet it was. Yeah. Like uh, last really big trade we got here, uh, Anthony Mantha. This one came out of nowhere, too, right? About 30 minutes after the deadline had theoretically passed. Anthony Mantha to the uh, Washington Capitals for Richard Panic, Jacob Vrana, a 2021 first-round pick, and a 2022 second-round pick. Give me your thoughts on this one. I it makes sense for Washington to buy um, given their window all their good players are old and expensive and probably getting worse but I absolutely fucking love this deal for Detroit yeah I think Detroit this honestly this with the um, what other deal that they make uh, John Merrill it was a small one and then the David Savard stuff I think this bumps Detroit up to second or third winners of the deadline I would say Columbus has probably won they got to be two or three in Boston's whatever the other, the other one you want there. Cause Boston adds Taylor Hall and uh, Mike Riley for a second and a third, basically. But this was a great piece of deal for Detroit, in my opinion. Oh, this was huge. It was, this is, it's weird to say who won. Cause like Kekalainen turned like two pennies into like 20 bucks and Steve Eiserman turned like a $20 bill into like 40 or something like that. So it's tough to say who, uh, who did it better, but yeah, I freaking love this. Verana is cheaper, younger than Mantha, I believe, and maybe better right now. Yeah, like there's a too- there's an argument that he's but I, I wouldn't be shocked if Mantha breaks out with Washington, kind of what like Verana was looking like with Washington. Uh, Mantha's been playing with like no one other than Dylan Larkin. And even, I don't even think him and Larkin play together all that often in the NHL. Like he just has not had many good NHL line mates, you know? 
yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Mantha does super well, although I can't imagine he's getting a ton of shots on the power play, which is usually what is necessary for an Anthony Mantha style player to break out. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is a huge win for Detroit. Um, you know, you take the Richard Panic contract, so that's kind of probably why one of those picks were in there or at least that high, like maybe the second's a fourth or a fifth instead, but they they eat the Panic contract, which is two more years at two point or at 3.2 uh, AAV, I believe. I might be at 2.75 AAV, sorry. Um, the two more years and his base salary is uh, 3.2 and 2.4 over the next two years. Um Panic's not even a bad player. Like he's an NHL level player that'll fit well, probably in Detroit, just on the third line or whatever. And then they can hopefully sell him in a year or two. Um, but you, you pick up panic cause they, the capitals couldn't get under that contract. And then hey, you pick up Jacob Vrana, who is a year younger than Mantha uh, cheaper right now. Uh, Mantha's locked in for, I want to say three more seasons, three more seasons after this one at 5.7 Vrana currently makes 3.33 and is an RFA after this year. Um, so that'll be the biggest question. And that's kind of why Washington did this, did this deal, I think, is because, um, you know, I guess they're probably worried about Vrana's contract. But my biggest thing was how much do you think he's going to get? Because Evolving Hockey had his most likely contract as a six by six, which seems very fair. And if it's a six by six, you have 300K difference between him and Anthony Mantha. And Again, I, I think it arguably could be a toss-up between which one you want, and then when you throw in panic, a first and a second in there, it gets pretty aggressive. Yeah, the first and the second on top make it so aggressive. Yeah, I don't, I don't even hate it for Washington. I just love Verana. Like he's leading the Washington Capitals in points per hour. Like that's yeah. Alex Ovechkin's team, and he is leading them in points per hour. He is clearly so good. I don't know why they don't like him, but I really hope he breaks out in Detroit. Yeah, me too. I think he could with more time on ice. Uh, you know, when we were talking in the group chat, and I think the, the best way that I put it, that I can th- see it here and that I would describe it is this is a win for Detroit every single day of the week. It doesn't matter because you've got a first and a second for Anthony Mantha, which is already good enough. You also then got a player who, even if he turns out to be a little worse than Mantha, is a very useful player. For Washington, there's an avenue where I can see this working out where Mantha just, you know, along with some better line mates, plays really, really well in Washington and, you know, helps your cup odds for this year and maybe even next. And that's all you really care about at this point. But there's just as likely to me as the odds as Mantha working out really well for Washington. Washington as this trade being a disaster where it's like Verana is actually better than Mantha and the, you just gave up a first and a second round pick and who knows if those players turn into something right yeah 100 percent. it it's a lot easier to imagine how Detroit wins this trade yeah I mean, yeah I, I'd like I would be shocked if Detroit quote-unquote loses this trade uh, the only thing I could think of is like if Verana was just all smoke and mirrors in Washington. And I don't see why that would be the case. You know, his underlying numbers don't suggest that at all. Yeah. They were fantastic. Yeah. And, and even then you've got like a first and a second round pick, which is solid value for a guy in, in Mantha who it's like is 26 years old. And if you have a two or three year more, two or three more years in your rebuild, who knows if he's even going to be part of that core, right? Like. Exactly. Cause by the time Detroit's good, he's going to be like 29. Yeah, and like Vrana's not much different. Like he'll be 27, 28 by the time Detroit's good. But it's just, you know, you got picks on top of that, which is already so useful. So, yeah, exactly. A um, couple other small ones here to go through really quick. Uh, Eric Gustafson to the Canadians at 50% retained for a seventh round pick. Again, this trade would be fine in a vacuum, but I laugh that they wave Victor Mete and then pick up older, worse, and more expensive Victor Mete. Like, 
I, I just, it's, it's a seventh. It doesn't matter, but like, there's no way Mete is worse than Gustafson. Gustafson has had one good year in Chicago and has been ass ever since. And I don't understand what the hype is here. Yeah. It's not the worst, I guess, because he did have that one good year, but like. Well, he hasn't been good in like three years since. Yeah. It's been a long time. And that it was like a five or 600 minute sample. He was good. And if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like it was just like, like this season, he's been atrocious with Philly. The only thing that's been positive is very slightly as Corsi against per 60, but barely. And then uh, not even one standard deviation above is his goals for per 60. And again, I don't put too much weight into a goals for per 60 defenseman being positive. Like I don't, I don't think the defenseman is what um, drives that with, without like, there's obviously special exceptions of like an Eric Carlson maybe, or someone like that. But like, over his three-year sample, and this includes his really good year, I'm pretty sure, with Chicago, he has been a huge negative defensively, and his big positive has been goals for per 60. Like, And he's fine on the power play. But it's like he's not going to get power play time either because I can't see him slotting over Weber or Petrie. Petrie's actually good on the power play. I don't think Weber is, but they use him improperly as well, and I just don't see that changing, you know? 100%. And so like, 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 why? I don't know. Like... I forgot he had a sixty-point season. That's aggressive. Yeah, like he was—he he, he, everything he touched went in the net with uh, Chicago. Like he was unreal for that one season, and then just never lived up to anything close to it. Like, yeah, and the the work I have done weighs points really aggressively downward for defensemen. I actually had his best season in 2017-18. That was the five or six hundred minute sample I was talking about, where he was great. Not even the sixty-point season, oddly enough. Yeah, and I mean, that season had 16 points in 35 games, so you bring that over a full season where it's, you know, that's still, I don't know, 38 points or so, which is good for a defenseman, obviously. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like it's not a bad trade in a vacuum, but I, I just – I don't understand. And don't, don't even know. I'm, I'm excited to have Mete on the Sens. I, I want to see what he can do. But I just don't really understand why you would – like if Mete is 22 years old, why are you picking a 28-year-old who has exactly the same skill set as him, you know? Yeah, it's a very strange one. Although in a vacuum, I didn't hate it. But yeah, the Mete stuff holistically is weird. Yeah. All right, two really small ones to get through. And then I want to talk about winners and losers and maybe one or two teams we were surprised that did or didn't do anything. Uh, Michael Raffle to the uh, Capitals, 25% retained. So he makes 1.2, a fifth round pick to the Flyers in 2021. Uh, I don't have much to say about this. Whatever, fine depth addition, I guess. Like that's probably your panic replacement, I guess. Yeah, he's basically just worse panic, but he gave up like nothing for Raffle. So it's it's hard to complain. He doesn't move the needle at all. You're not going to win because of him ever. So, yep. And the Good. Winnipeg Jets added a defenseman, and it was drumroll, please, Jordy Ben. Um, I can't think of a team that has had more disappointing of a deadline than Winnipeg. Like they are on my losers list just for the fact that they sat there and did nothing while well, this is probably their best chance to even take a shot at with this team that they have. And like me and you are much lower on this team, but I think if they would have legitimately added two top four defensemen, which again is way easier said than done, but they didn't add anyone other than Jordy Ben. And I like Jordy Ben in a depth role, but like that's your big addition for a sixth round pick. Really? Come on. Even if they took a shot on like Metal or something. Yeah. Like that probably would have been more exciting than Ben. And like, even that, like they still have like Hanolo that it just doesn't sound like they're going to play at all. And like, 
that feels like it would be a better option than most of the guys are playing. And there's the, the biggest reason I think this team's a loser uh, losing at the deadline to me is because if they would have made one or two like significant pieces, they would have had to give some stuff up. Don't get me wrong, but they could have been at least close enough with Hellebuck and net to the Leafs where it's like, yeah, I think they're at least enough of a threat to go on a little bit of a run here. Whereas like now I just like their defense core is still Josh Morrissey who sucks Dylan DeMello, who I like, but he's not a top pair guy. Neil Pionk, who's playing like a top pair guy, I guess. Derek Forbert, Logan Stanley, Sammy Niku, and Jordy Ben, and Tucker Pullman. It's like, sure, I guess. Like, have fun in the playoffs, Hellebuck. Yeah, poor, poor Hellebuck is really my big takeaway here. Yeah, and like you're wasting like the prime. Again, like we talk about how like all oh, goaltenders take longer to age, but like you see what's happening with Carey Price as he's getting closer to his mid 30s. Like Hellebuck's already 27. Who knows how many years left you have of this unreal goaltending? Like John Gibson was criminally underrated for two or three years. He's probably one of the most overrated guys in the league now just because he can't stay healthy and he just he looks fried most nights. Like who knows how much better Connor Hellebuck or how much more of this you're going to have? Like, I would have much rather see them at least do something more than this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough to waste prime years of Hellebuck, although admittedly the team is getting filled in at even strength. And if that's the reason they didn't buy because they were aware of that, then I guess good on them for being self-aware. I can guarantee you it's not, though. They think they have a good team. They love their top six. Like, And even just like the, the hype their third line gets blows my mind. Like, People are like, oh, yeah, Adam Lowry, that guy's just amazing. It's like, he's fine, I guess, but like – I don't think he's that special. No. no like, he like, I don't even know if he's that much above average, if I'm being honest. But, like, people, like, like I've literally heard on Toronto radio that Winnipeg is a better top nine than Toronto does because, like, guys like Adam Lowry are way better than anyone Toronto can ice on their third line. I'm like, what effing game are we watching out here? Yeah, that's insane. Like, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, – I don't know. It just, this team would have been way more encouraging if they could have picked up a legitimate top four left-handed D and then anything else. Like, and they just decided to sit tight because they, I don't think they like spending assets very much. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think that was a mistake just in terms. I, I feel like they really are going to get their doors blown in when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah. If, if Hellebuck is anything but like Vesna level, they're screwed. Yep. And so I don't know. Uh, the other two teams I'd say were disappointment, St. Louis and Nashville, um, they both won a couple games. So now apparently they feel that making the playoffs to get their doors blown off in round one is actually better than getting legitimate assets for players like Mike Hoffman or uh, is it Eck- yeah, Eckholm that, you know, they could have sold. So that's pretty disappointing to me. I thought that, you know, St. Louis should have been a team that was selling on guys like Bozak, Hoffman, anyone who's a UFA, they don't think they're going to resign. A hundred percent. The only excuse for those teams not selling is your owner was like, absolutely the fuck not. We're getting playoff gate revenue. Yeah. And I, like Nashville, I could see it. St. Louis just won a cup two years ago. You think they should be okay. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that was um, uh, d- disappointing from those two teams. The fact that they did absolutely nothing. Yeah, that is pretty disappointing. It's very NHL though. Yep, absolutely. I would say my winners of the deadline, uh, Columbus, uh, probably Detroit and then Boston. I think Boston was definitely the the biggest winner in terms of buyers. I, I really like the Mike Riley addition for a third. I think he's a solid second pair defenseman. Uh, and then obviously Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar. You know, Taylor Hall is a legitimate first line winger. And even Lazar, as much as a meme he is around Ottawa here, um, is a solid fourth line player he's turned himself into. So, Yeah, it's good for him because it looked like he was going to be one of the worst players in the league. 
Yeah, like he looked like he was on his way out for sure. Is there any losers that you had specifically? Um, I don't really want to say losers, but I was really not happy with Toronto. Yeah, I'm. I I, I don't. I'm a loser. The deadline's really over dramatic, but like I was, I was not happy. Yeah, I would say that it's like there's definitely been worse deadlines. Like I would say Winnipeg's a loser at the deadline, and. Uh, St. Louis and Nashville, just because of how little they did either way. Um, Toronto is one of the teams that I thought bought the most, spent the most for like the least amount of value added, you know? Yeah. It was aggressively underwhelming. Yes. And and maybe you could throw Tampa into that too, because again, I like Savard, but they paid a lot for him. And I don't know, like, it's one of those things where it's like. um, Savard is just. Polino, except on defense. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think if we're going to give the Leafs crap, we're get, we got to give the Lightning just as much crap for doing the same. And, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, um, you, you, you say, okay, well, why don't you yell at those teams more? It's like, okay, because they're really well run and they've done so many other things correct that we kind of give them at least a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because they look poised to go on a run. Whereas it's like, if the Habs are doing that, it's like, yeah, I don't know what on earth you think you're doing right now, you know? hundred percent. Tampa is probably the number one front office in the league and Toronto would have to be at least top 10. So like there's some benefit of the doubt that needs to be given there, but yeah, for sure. Top 10. I mean, like we could rank them, but like I would say Tampa and Colorado got to be one and two just off the top of my head. And then then after that, it's basically anyone's game. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I I don't know. That that was our deadline review. Uh, I'm just checking to make sure refreshing cap friendly. It doesn't look like we missed any trades. Uh, this was one of the more boring deadlines and everything kind of came around 3 PM and a lot of it was pretty small, but uh, we kind of expected that as well, just with the uh, quarantine rules and all that stuff. So um, I don't know. The, the, the day was pretty boring. I hope not too many people took the day off work or anything like that for this. Cause you would have been severely disappointed, but uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I don't think I have much more to say. Do you chase on any of these? No, I don't think so. I am happy that this year, trade deadline was boring like usual but there weren't a whole bunch of people in the media being like oh shit buckle up it's gonna be great only for it to be terrible as it usually is this year everybody was kind of like yeah it's gonna suck and yeah that's true everyone was just like yeah this is gonna be the most boring one we've had in a while prepare yourself and that's exactly what it was so that yeah that's nice it's not even just like free agency it's like oh man look how exciting two years from now free agency could be look at all these ufas it's like 90 percent of them have re-signed with their team by the time you get around to that it's like well never mind yeah um, yeah, if uh, I don't, I think if we're good, you're good. I'm good with that. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more as the weeks go on. You know, from now until the play, the, the really nice thing about the shortened season, I'm, I'm loving the shortened season. Only 56 game stuff is that um, usually between now and the end of the year, and before the deadline and the previous like three or four weeks, it's just like the worst grind to try and wait out. But like the playoffs start in like a month from now. Yeah, they're soon. Yeah, like, like fantasy hockey playoffs are on right now. I, I thought there was at least three weeks until those started, which means there's like about a month until playoffs actually start. So it's like the, the good thing is that there's there should be enough content to at least pull us over for the next couple of weeks. It's not like the normal stretch of season where it's like, well, yeah, this team looks okay and this team might make the playoffs as the eighth seed or whatever, right? Like there hopefully is enough to talk about. Yeah, um, 100 
As always, thank you everyone for listening. You can check my workout at milehighhockey.com as well as lastwordonhockey.com. You can check me out on Twitter at NHL Suns and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, we'll probably be looking for another guest within an episode or two here. So if there's anyone you want to hear, let us know. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. I hope everyone has a great week and we'll talk to you all next week.